Well, amen. If you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. My name is Zach. For those of you that are new today, I'm one of the leaders around here. And we're going to be looking uh, in Luke chapter 4 today as a community. We've been studying through the gospel of Luke this year. And we've seen kind of in the opening section of the gospel that the maker of man, God the creator, became man in Jesus for us and for our salvation. For the last several weeks, we've been seeing Jesus teach well, what is this salvation? What does it look like and how does it impact our lives? We're going to conclude kind of his last statement on the nature of his salvation today here in Luke 4. And I believe it speaks to us powerfully as we celebrate Easter Sunday. So if you're turning your Bibles to Luke 4, 18, the context here is Jesus is speaking to church people. He's in a synagogue. These are people that knew the Bible that prayed, and yet Jesus has come for them. And that's important for us to know is that Jesus is for church people, and people in church need Jesus. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you don't need the grace of God in your life. And Jesus leaves this church setting, and he goes out into the streets. And as we trace through Luke, he reaches out to rich and poor, young and old, kind of conservative and liberal people with very uh, put-together lives and people with very messed-up lives. He is for everyone. So if you're here today and you're a church person, praise God, the grace of God, and the message of Easter is for you. If you're here today and you're not a church person, you're like, I don't really know how I showed up. It's Easter. Uh, I just got here, right? I want you to know that Jesus' good news is for you as well. And Jesus says this about his salvation. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, God the Father, has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We saw that Jesus' salvation uh, meets our needs in poverty and the many faces of poverty uh, that we face, relational, spiritual, material, that Jesus is good news for the poor. Right, One way to communicate, kind of sharing the message of Jesus, is one beggar sharing with another beggar where to find bread. Right, That Jesus is bread for the poor. Uh, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. So another way to communicate about this salvation is that Jesus has come to set captives free. And that Jesus frees us from our captivity to the power of sin. And he gives us freedom. Uh, that he gives recovery of sight to the blind. That one way you could understand Jesus' message and his mission is opening blind eyes, opening the spiritual blindness that's over the world to see God and to know God and to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus gives sight to the blind. He sets at liberty those who are oppressed. We covered that last week. And here we see that Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, when we read that in our culture, we think uh, most likely, man, I got a good parking spot at North Park Mall. The favor of God is on me. I got a business deal to go through. Man, the favor of God is on me. I got a good grade on a test that I didn't really study for. The favor of God is on me, right? Jesus, when he says, I've come to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, he's not referencing parking spots, business deals, or good grades, although, man, I'd love for you to have a great parking spot at North Park Mall. But he's come, and when he says this, his hearers hear something very specific. 
And I want to let you in on that because it really helps us to understand the power of Jesus. When they heard that, uh, what they heard was a very specific reference to a value in their culture known as the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee uh, was something in kind of Israel's culture that God had given them. And we're going to learn a little bit about that today and why it's said that Jesus came to fulfill the year of Jubilee. So the context is this. God uh, in the Old Testament came to a family, uh, the Israelites, meaning people descended from one gentleman named Israel. He came to them. They were his people that he was enacting uh, salvation. He was redeeming them. In fact, we see them in, uh, in, in uh, Exodus. They're in slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh's leadership, and they've been slaves for 400 years. It's a bitter oppression. And God raises up Moses and delivers them, brings them out of slavery, makes them new. And as he brings them out, he tells them there's a purpose for which they've been set free. Their purpose, their calling is to embody the image of God. That through their lives, through their relationships, through the work of their hands, through the way that their community lived, that the entire world would see the goodness, the mercy, the loving kindness, and the saving power of the God who has saved them. And so God speaks to them about the way they are to live. And in that dialogue, he tells them that they're to practice the year of Jubilee. We're going to read about it now. It's Leviticus chapter 25, verse 8. So that is toward the front of your Bible. If you brought your Bible today, if you're on your device, uh, you can just look up Leviticus and you'll find it. And this is God speaking to the Israelites. And it's a little bit of, of language we may not use. I'll translate it for you as we go. He said, count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. We don't have time to get into the Sabbath years, but what I want you to hear is that God said every 50 years, count off 49 years next year, year 50 is a particular way that you are supposed to live. And he said this, on that 50th year, have the trumpet sound everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. That day was the day of atonement, a religious festival around being cleansed from sin. On the 50th day of atonement, they were supposed to sound a trumpet throughout the land. And it said, consecrate this year, verse 10, and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. So on that 50th year, day of atonement, trumpet blows throughout the land proclaiming liberty, freedom. Interestingly enough, the creators of the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia uh, they reference this verse. It's engraved on the top of the Liberty Bell that when the bell was rung, that it would be freedom throughout the land. They got that concept from this passage in the Bible. Uh, and in verse 11, it says, or in verse 10, it says, You're going to proclaim freedom uh, throughout the whole land. It shall be a year of jubilee to you. And we learn what that means. Each of you is to return to your family property. And to your own clan. Now what is going on here? When God brought the Israelites out, part of them living out their calling was that he gave them land. Each family within this larger kind of community was given land as their inheritance. It was from God and it was for them to live out their calling on. 
that they were to live lives that honored God and reflected his goodness, that they were to work the land and through the work of their hands and the way they related to one another that they would fulfill their calling to be God's image bearers on the earth. This land was very important to them. It was a place of identity, a place of security, a place of calling. And yet what we see here is that something is not right. That these families who had this land by inheritance, as you can imagine, hard times would come on people, right? Either through decisions they made, bad business deals, uh, foolish choices, or maybe there were several years of drought and there weren't crops and the family was really suffering. And they'd come upon economic hardship. And what would happen is they would take their land like people do today when times get tough and you might sell your house or sell some valuables. They would literally sell their land to someone else, give up their inheritance, give up their home in order just to make it through the financial calamity that they were in. Right. So the entire nation, these places of inheritance, there are many, many, many families that weren't where they were intended to be. They weren't home. Life was not as it should be, sometimes through their own fault, maybe through the fault of their parents or grandparents, or maybe it was just life happening to them. The big idea is that they were not in their place of home. But on this 50th year, it would be a year of jubilee where people would return to their inheritance. They would return to their home. It was about coming home to the place that you were meant for to the place where all was right in the world. It was about restoration. What would happen as we see, as it goes on, if you'll look in verse 13, in this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. And they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. So here was the idea is that I could, if times were tough, I could sell my land. And based on where it was in that 50-year cycle, if there were 49 years left to the year of Jubilee, I would sell my land for 49 years, essentially a generation, to someone else. And for those 49 years, I would be displaced. And the crops from my land would go toward the investor to pay them back for, uh, for giving me the, the money, lending me the money in hard times. If it was two years until the year of Jubilee, right, the amount of money that I could leverage my land for would be much smaller. But in that 50th year, it would be a year where debts were paid off. It would be a year where investors were paid back, right, and it would be time to come home. You get the idea of what's happening here? This was a year uh, that was powerful, a year of restoration and of coming home. Interestingly enough, we have no record in the Bible of it ever being practiced. No place in Scripture does it mention that this actually happened, that this was uh, put into place. And I think that speaks powerfully to us, that reconciliation restoration, things being put back right in life is very hard. It, it, impossible even with man. 
So like, okay, Zach, that's an a interesting fact. Maybe I can use that in a trivia game, but why? What does this have to do with Easter? And even more importantly, what does it have to do with me? Well, when Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, I've come to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, all of his hearers sitting around him would have heard Jesus has come to enact the year of Jubilee that he's come to make things right, that he's come to bring about restoration, that he's come to bring people back to their inheritance. He's to restore people in their calling. He's to bring them home again. And it takes a while in his, in his life and his ministry and even through his death and resurrection before his followers catch the full significance of this. It took him a while to see what was going on. What was he actually restoring? And it's only until they see his death, which we remember on Good Friday, and they see his resurrection, that they truly understand this year of jubilee that Jesus was bringing. And if we look at him and we look at this situation, I think we can all uh, relate and understand that though God uh, has made everyone in his image, that there's not a person alive, not a person in any, any nation. Every person in the world is made in the image of God. Every person is made with value and dignity and worth and calling. That God loves people and has created them to prosper and flourish and to reflect His glory. And at the same time, all is not right. Though people are made in the image of God, we can look around and we can see the world around us and we can see that that is not what is exhibited in our world. Just look at the headlines in the news on any given day. Across countries, across governmental systems, across economic systems, across historical eras, generation after generation after generation has experienced the pain and the hurt and the injustice and the oppression that marks our world. So much so uh, that it would be reasonable to think that the default setting for human existence is injustice and oppression. Last uh, two weeks ago, I read you a quote from Malcolm X talking about, well, how could this injustice be paid back, what had been done to the African-American community through years and generations of slavery? What's amazing is that that sentiment is not confined to one particular people in one particular country, but we could study through world history and see that same sentiment. People have experienced so great an injustice in their lives, been so great victims of oppression, that they could say, how in the world could this be paid back? That's what has marked our world, and that's the world that Jesus came into. Incredible calling, and yet incredibly far from the way things were meant to be. Now lean in with me just a moment as we look to Jesus' death. You might be asking, well, Zach, why? It just seems like, uh, yes, things are off, but couldn't God have just like forgiven the world, just kind of given us forgiveness, right? Why did Jesus have to die? Seems a little gruesome. Seems a little barbaric. Seems a little bit like, why, would, why God on a cross and being beaten? That's just grotesque. Why would Jesus have to die? That's a great question. It's a good question that you're asking that, if you're asking that. What I want you to know is that when the Bible speaks about God's forgiveness 
Uh, God, uh, forgiveness is a subcomponent of a larger work that God is doing related to reconciliation and restoration. The injustice that has been done to people throughout generations in our world that we've partaken of, either as active or passively that we've partaken of, is so great that it would actually be injustice for God to say, oh, it's all forgiven. Here, you get a mulligan. You guys know what mulligans are? You go play golf, hit a bad shot into the water. Oh, it's a mulligan. You hit a new one, it doesn't count against you, right? If God were to say, hey, no big deal. Hey, Hitler, no big deal. You know, everybody makes mistakes, buddy. Hey, you're forgiven. If God were to say to uh, Osama bin Laden, no big deal. You know, people blowing up, no big deal. You're forgiven. If God were to say to any of the serial killers or, or the, the school shooters or anyone, uh, sweatshop owners, all this injustice, no big deal. You're forgiven, right? We would say, what kind of God is that? That's not a God of justice. That's a God of injustice. The suffering has been so great and is so significant, it's marked so many lives, that something must be done. So Jesus goes to the cross, right, and dies there for a couple reasons. Number one, so that every suffering, oppressed person that had been the victim of injustice could look to God and say, God understands what it's like to suffer. God understands what it's like to enter into this world of suffering and to identify with me. Jesus understands me in my pain. And Jesus validates my experience. He doesn't turn a blind eye, doesn't issue a mulligan to the world, but he says your suffering and your pain and the injustice that's been done to you and to others matters. And he relates to us. In our suffering. That's why you'll notice in places where Jesus is oppressed, I mean, where people are oppressed, there's a special affinity for Jesus because they're like, he understands what it's like to be oppressed. But he doesn't stop there. When we're talking about injustice being done, there's a need for reconciliation. And reconciliation involves acknowledgement, it involves repentance, I'm sorry, and it involves restitution or reparation, or things being made right. That's why in legal cases where people have suffered abuse, a car accident, or, or, or a wrongful uh, termination, right? they will give people money to restore that which have been broken. That's how we say justice has been served. Or in nations after wars, they'll declare that nations need to make reparations to make things right for what they've done in wartime, that people's lives and livelihood could be restored. It's a common thing when we talk about reconciliation. But here's the challenge when we talk about reconciliation for the whole world. Who, though we've committed such great sin, who has the power or the resource to pay back for the injustice that's been done? How could Nazi Germany ever pay the Jews back? No amount of money in the world, no amount of apology letters would restore the suffering that Jews have been under. We read about Malcolm X. He said, how could white America ever pay back African Americans for the generations of slavery? The, 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 the debt is so great. And it's not just limited to the Holocaust 
or to slavery. But again, every generation, every nation, every economic, every political, every religious system has experienced this type of injustice and oppression. How can things be made right again? No one has the resources to be able to do it. And what we see in Jesus going to the cross is not only is he identifying with suffering people, but he says, in myself, I will take on the suffering and the pain and the injustice, the debt that is owed, I will pay it in and of myself. God does the unthinkable. The perfect God says, I will take on the pain of the world. And when he rises again on the third day, he issues a decree that life is coming forth from death. Therefore, every wronged person, every victim of injustice, every person who had their life and their calling and their place and their purpose stolen because of sin could look to Jesus and could receive new life, restoration, that in Christ, God was reconciling everyone to himself, offering a new way, a way marked by life, a way marked by liberty, a way marked by coming home again, a way marked by restoration and being restored to your purpose, restored to your calling, restored to relationship with God and relationship with one another. Jesus, in the death on the cross and in the resurrection, was making all things new. He's the only one that could do it. That's what we celebrate today. That's how Jesus' life brings the year of Jubilee. He's making a new history, a new kingdom, a new creation, a new humanity. And we celebrate that today. And you might be here and be like, Zach, I've been a church person or I've not been a church person. But, but either way, I never uh, received that reconciliation. I don't know what to do with this. I've heard about Jesus. I've, I could tell you the facts about Easter, but I've never uh, partaken of that myself. I've never let Jesus take away my sin. I've never repented. I've never received that new life. What do I do? Well, I want you to know you're in good company today. In the book of Acts, a number of people find themselves in their same situation. And we see the apostle Peter after preaching, speaking about how we are to respond and to enter into the reconciliation that God is working in Christ. Peter says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What I want you to notice, the way we receive the reconciliation that Jesus offers is through repentance. It's through saying, God, I realize what I've done. I realize I've been a partaker of sin. I realize I've been an oppressor. I realize I've been an abuser, and I repent from the sword. I want to go a new way. It's repentance. It's turning, turning from sin and turning toward God. And then it's being baptized, right? Is that statement of faith, which we're going to celebrate in a moment. When you're baptized, you go under the water, right? And it's like the death of the world. Jesus is taking it on. And when you rise up again, you're rising up in his life 
in his reconciled power, made new, brought home, ready for your purpose and your calling. That's what you're saying. Repent and be baptized. And when you do that, note, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we're not just forgiven, we are forgiven, but we're made new through the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're brought to life, we're brought to purpose, we're brought to calling, it's reconciliation. And that this is for you and your children and for all who are far off. There's not a person on the planet outside of this invitation from Jesus, outside of this reconciliation that God is working. And so if you're here today and you're like, I've never done that, Zach, I want to give you an opportunity today to make that decision, to repent and to receive Jesus. We're going to do baptisms. We have some scheduled. If you are not on the docket, but you're like, man, that's me, I want you to go to the back in just a moment, and we'll just open up the waters to whoever wants to be baptized. We have several people in our church that that's been their experience. They've received their year of jubilee. They've received this reconciliation power from Jesus, and they want to share that with you today, and they want to be baptized, and we want to celebrate with them. We had a number of baptisms in the first service. We've got a number of them in this service, and I want to invite you to hear their stories as they take this step. So Joe's going to come up, and uh, he's going to lead us in that. Here you go, buddy. All right. Okay. Uh, this is fun. So Jesus said if one sinner repents, there's actually a party that goes on in heaven. So we're going to party this morning. Uh, as we celebrate uh, these guys getting baptized. And so if you've uh, been a part of our church for a few years, I've been a part of this church for about five years, and we've done baptisms uh, all, all which ways. So you, you know, small bathtubs in people's apartments uh, to horse troughs uh, in the back of pickup trucks filled with uh, cold water to last Easter, actually, we were out. Uh, we weren't in this building yet, but we didn't have a building. So we were actually out in the in the grass, if you guys remember, um, outside, just baptizing people in the back of a pickup truck. So this is actually our first indoor baptism. And so this is something, yeah, there you go. This is just something that we see that Jesus says he, he commands it. And then he also, um, he, he blesses it. He said, this is, this is a, a beautiful thing representing um, that you are making a decision to be baptized with Christ and that as you go under the water, it's almost like you yourself are being um, it symbolizes you dying and then being raised to newness of life. And so when they come up, we're going to shout and we're going to cheer just like there's a party going on in heaven. Um, and, the, and beforehand, we're going to give them an opportunity just to share a short testimony of why they're being baptized. Um, and so just encourage you to listen in. So you guys ready? Okay, first up, we have the, the A-Lot and Miller family. So Luna. All right, Luna. This is Luna Ayler. Okay. Yes, you can come sit up here. Yeah. Okay. Okay, you can stand up. Okay, so Luna, are you going to share or your dad, is your dad going to share a little bit? Okay. Okay. Eggagery is not fun. About three or four months ago, I was going, wait, whoops, okay. <laughs> I was going through a time in my life that was sinful. I felt like the world was spinning and doing backflips. I felt like I was in a big blob of anger and negativity. 
My mother got more emotional, though I knew it was just the triplets. School got harder, and my friends got snobbier. The only way to, to describe how I felt was through this one word, agony. It's a big blob of stress, anger, frustration, unthankfulness, and unhappiness. I've been praying, and God has been helping me through this agony. Anyway, that's why I want to be baptized, so I can be taken away from sin and agony and be brought closer to God. Awesome. If you go ahead and sit down. Yeah. All right. Ah, oh, Luna. So, Luna, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and believed that he died for your sins? Yes, I did. <laughs> and it's your desire to make this declaration today publicly? Yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> You might want to plug your nose. Okay. Luna, as your father, it's my joy and privilege to baptize you today. Buried with Jesus in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And raised with him in the of life. I just want to invite you guys to pray for Luna with me. Father, thank you so much for Luna, for the blessing she is in our lives. And Lord, we just pray you continue to bless her as she blesses others. Amen. Amen. All right, next we actually have Luna's mom, Charity. So I don't know if you heard in uh, Luna's testimony that her mom's actually pregnant with triplets right now. Okay. Splash stone. Okay. Did you want to? Did you want to share? I know he's gonna say. Okay. So I'm going to read Charity's testimony for her. I grew up believing in God, but not knowing much about Christianity or the church. It wasn't until almost 10 years ago that we, decided, that we started attending services regularly. After attending service for a couple years, I started to be interested in baptism, but our circumstances never seemed right. I suppose I treated being baptized more like I did a final exam at the time. I felt I should study and really know my stuff before I commit. But life was busy, and there was no time to become an expert in Christianity. In fact, the more I learned, the more questions I seemed to have. So, I waited. When God called us to move to Dallas, Texas, we were very blessed and found Antioch within a couple of weeks of moving here and knew instantly that it was to be our home church. Yet still I hesitated to be baptized. What was it now? I began to realize that I was still making getting baptized all about my circumstances. But what I really needed was to connect with God more and on a deeper level. David and I had talked about the school of transformation, and last fall we decided to go for it. To start off the school, everyone first goes on a weekend retreat to get to know each other and connect with God. At the time, I had a lot of anxiety in my life. I had just left a job deciding to work from home 
and we were in the process of moving. I learned so much during the entire program, but the change started right there at that retreat. When during a praise session, I prayed and sang and asked God for grace on my life. For the first time, I put everything aside and just praised and prayed. I honestly didn't expect anything to happen, but it did. I felt Jesus' presence and the grace of God wash over me. When I opened my eyes, I saw a vision of Jesus standing before us in the center of the circle where we all sang. It was so incredible. At the end of the praise session, Jeremy, our School of Transformation teacher, shared that he saw a vision of Jesus standing at the center of the circle with us while we all sang. Needless to say, I was totally speechless. It was then that I realized Jesus wasn't just appearing before me, but that he was always there. I just couldn't see him before. I had too many other things clouding my sight. I walked away from that experience, and everything was different. I mean, everything was the same, but I had changed. The anxiety and worry that had been almost overwhelming me was gone. And I mean completely gone. I felt a calmness and peace that I have never known in my life. Being a bit of a skeptic, I remember thinking even then that the feeling would fade. But it, but it wasn't. So when I went to bed that night, I held on to that feeling as long as I could before falling asleep. But to my surprise, it didn't go away. Weeks later, it was still there. Now, over six months later, I still feel it. Just over halfway through the course, David and I found out we were expecting triplets. As you can imagine, it was a very unexpected surprise. I can't even imagine how I would have reacted a few months before. After all, nothing in our lives has prepared us for this. It is a high-risk pregnancy, and we are all alone here, as all of our family lives in Canada. But strangely, I feel okay, excited even, as I know that this is part of God's plan for us, and that he will provide all that we need to live and thrive here. So to wrap things up here, this time around, when the opportunity to be baptized came, I said yes. The circumstances might not be perfect, but in the end, it was never the circumstances that really mattered. I needed to be ready, and I just couldn't get ready on my own. I needed the transformation that has taken place over the last six months, and now I'm ready. Praise God. I love you, babe. Charity, do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and that he came to die for your sins? Yes, I do. And it's your wish to make this declaration publicly. Yes. You might want to plug your nose to your left hand. <laughs> then it is my, <laughs> it's my, it's my pleasure today as your husband and your best friend to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Jesus. And raise the walk in the I just want to invite you guys to pray with, with me for charity. Lord, thank you for charity. Thank you for the blessing she's been in our life, Lord. I just pray your grace and blessing on her forever and ever in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, next up we have Mark Eason. Mark Eason. 
you can stand up right there. All right. Did you want to share? Are you going to share? Do you want some of those? Okay, great. Just let me get my cheat sheet up here. Uh, so, okay, so I grew up in a Christian home and was uh, taught about Jesus from an early age. Uh, my father, my family, and I all went to church most weeks, went to a Christian school, and I uh, went to VBS every summer, and it was actually during one of those times that I finally saw Jesus and um, accepted him into my life. Uh, I remember crying with joy just at that time, probably 12 years old or something like that, as I was prayed over by one of the VBS volunteers. Uh, those first few years were marked with just growth with Christ, relying on him, and uh, spending time reading the Bible, uh, spending time with God, and a actually eventually start like prodding my dad and my family to actually go to church every week. Um, despite being close to God, I never really got baptized at that age. I uh, wasn't the type of kid that really wanted to be up in front of a crowd, but uh, given that option and now having to be up in front of and talk in front of a crowd, I might have done that back then, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> um, after that point, though, I started to go to college and I started to drift from God. I was in a kind of a, a phase of just not being close and connected like I could have been. Uh, after a couple years of college, I started to try and get back, uh, connect, read the Bible a little more, went to church, but it was kind of going through just the motions. I really wasn't fully invested. Um, and my relationship with Christ was stagnant. Uh, thankfully, this started to change a couple years ago uh, after I moved to Texas. Uh, uh, met my wonderful fiance, Heather, over here. And... Uh, she just kind of prodded me a little bit to really try and get back into church, really get back into knowing God and being with him. Uh, it's, it's been a great thing, and I'm forever grateful for her for doing that because uh, might be lost otherwise. Um, uh, so I started getting involved with the community and really actually uh, started to rebuild that relationship and just pick up where I had left off because God's never going to leave you. He, it's, it's always it's on us to find him. He's always there. Uh, so I grew with that church community, and when times got tough, uh, just because of work and grad school and thesis, and just uh, I, I got swamped and just had trouble with anxiety and depression for a little while there, and uh, just I learned to just rely on God and turn everything over to Him because I was cutting it alone. I had tried, and it just wasn't working. Uh, thankfully, that peace came. Uh, it came a little gradually. It was a trial but it, it's come through God. And uh, it, I'm thankful that after being out of school and everything, it's continued, and that phase of wanting to be close to God has also continued because uh, thankfully the anxiety's ended, but I'm still uh, trying to pursue him. Uh, came up here, met Antioch, met the wonderful church community that you all are, met my life group, and met some wonderful people like Andrew along the way. Uh, um, and with that, I've seen more growth, uh, more growth than I ever had at a young age. And uh, just want to serve God and honor him. That's obviously that's why I'm up here, because this is a step that I, I've always wanted to take for years and never seemed like it was the right time. And as you heard before, there's never really a right time. There's never a time that's right. It, it's always there for uh, and it's just whenever we feel like taking that step. And uh, we, we've talked about it in life group a little bit where. Uh, as long as we're taking steps to find Jesus, it, he's going to try and get us in that direct direction. And they can be, you know, little steps, big steps or whatever. It doesn't have to be. Uh, there's nothing 
no particular course to God. He's always there. Awesome. Morning. I'm actually a little nervous up here, so <laughs> bear with me, Mark. So from this, I just want to say thank you for asking me and just just the humility and the joy that you embody. I'm actually trying not to cry either, but like we really appreciate you and you've been such a huge blessing to us. So thank you for that. And then, <clears throat> do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Absolutely. Yes. And from this day forward, you're a new creation. So, are you ready? Uh, let's go for it. <laughs> let's go. So in the name of Jesus Christ, I baptize my brother, Mark. All right. Do you want him to pray for you? All right. If you could all join me in prayer. Um, Father, uh, we just thank you uh, for your sacrifice and for what you've done for us. Um, and I thank you um, for Mark um, and just... Uh, for what you have done in his life, um, and I just ask that you continue um, to bless him and work um, throughout his life. Um, in your name we pray, amen. Amen, great job. All right. Well, hey, like Zach said, the water is open, but that is the last scheduled baptism. So we want to end by inviting you to stand to your feet, and we're just going to worship Jesus uh, with uh, one final song.